half of the Checks and Balances. I'm Michael Vincent. This is James Blair. And today we've got Ben Brinkerhoff, Head of Advice at Concilium, to talk about the science of spending. Ben, welcome back. It's been a while. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, we went through our phase last time you were here where we weren't quite sure who we were and we went to some <laughs> studios. But we're back home and we're happy where we are, aren't we, Mike? Absolutely, we are. Check yeah. the background. You Loving know? the digs. Like, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, the feedback I got on the the uh, podcast we did with you last time, really, really good. It was like, we need to get this guy back from <laughs> right. to spin off some more yarns about, you know, right. your perception on money and life and all that kind of good stuff. Okay. Um, yeah. For those who haven't seen the previous episodes, Head of Advice at Concilium. Yeah. What's just very quickly, what's what's Concilium all about? Uh, Concilium is a business that basically provides consulting services to independent financial advisors. If we do our job well, independent advisors stay independent. Yeah. And what that means is they don't have to sell anyone else's stuff and they can just advocate their clients' interests. But mm. huge amount of infrastructure required to be independent. You have yeah. to outsource a lot of things that are just not your core business. Concilium steps into the gap and makes it happen. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Okay. The science of spending. Where, where do you want to start? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's a topic I got interested in because I started to notice something, which is that people died with a lot of money and, <laughs> and without intending to, right? Yeah. So there's no problem with, with saying, I want to pass on money to my, to my heirs. Like that's a totally legitimate goal. And you can actually work with a financial advisor to ensure that that kind of strategy happens. The issue is when people say, no, I actually want to like spend this money down, but then they don't. Mm. Yeah. And they get to that point where they have the assets and they psychologically cannot spend them. And so I started looking into, well, why is that? Maybe mm. there's some research about that topic. Um, and it turns out that there is. So I just started digging into it and see what I could find. Yeah, it's interesting that you you bring that up. I was actually walking down at lunchtime. I always call a client as I'm walking down to go get my lunch, make the most of my day, getting my good life salad, the chicken Caesar with a side of avocado. And I was talking to one of my clients who um, she's about 51 and he's 64. And in the last review we did, he was like, we don't have enough money for me to retire next year. And I'm like, my guy look at these projections, you're going to be just fine and then have a hell of a lot to work out what you're going to do mm. on the back of it. But they were still uncomfortable. They were still unsure. There was very emotional kind of descriptions of, I don't want to be 67 in a rocking chair staring at the wall because I've run out of money. Yeah, right. Well, who wants that, right? Yeah. And, I, you know, it's probably maybe there's some legitimacy to this, right? The downside risk of running out is yeah. much more severe than the upside benefit, yeah. right? Yeah. So so there, it makes some sense. And, of course, because you have that risk, you hire a financial advisor. But even when the f uh, financial advisor gives you insight saying, listen, you absolutely can spend this money, mm psychologically it's hard and and what the science suggests like i figured out through this process that i'm actually a tightwad <laughs> no i'm i'm the may opposite have, of mine i might yeah. have had, i <laughs> might have had some insight on that before but this kind of confirmed it actually there's a test you can take yeah right, that says if you are a tightwad or a spinthrift but the the idea is that when people spend money 
a classical economic theory going back to Irving Fisher was that people spend money because um, they're trying to maximize the joy they get from spending. And, and, and they might be able to spend into the future. And, and if they spend in the future, that would give them more joy than spending now. And yeah. of course, that can make sense. But, but Fisher's ideas fall apart because people don't spend, they don't delay spending because they're trying to get more joy into the future. The, the future spend is more, brings more happiness than the current spend. They don't spend because it hurts to spend. Mm. Uh, and, and what happens, they, they put people under an fMRI machine. This is a paper by Scott Rick and Lowenstein. And as my knowledge, they're professors at Carnegie Mellon University. And they put um, people through an fMRI machine and they showed them um, prices. And they asked, you know, about spending decisions. And what they found is their brain start to light up in the area of the brain that processes pain? Mm. Yeah, and they're like, "What? You're like, you're not not spending because you know you're you're figuring out where to how to maximize your your happiness. You're not spending because it hurts. It actually hurts to spend. Mm. And of course, as soon, as soon as it's like about hurt, then you have scale. You have some yeah. people that it hurts very little, and you might call those people spendthrifts. <laughs> um, and then you have people that it hurts. A lot to spend, you might call them tightwads. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. My two friends here, right? Yeah. And so, but those Gucci sneakers. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Mike, can you pick up breakfast? Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> that hurts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so there's a lot of, there. Uh, there's a way of even identifying if you are, there's even questions, right? And you think to yourself, is this correlated at all with wealth? And what the research found out is the more money you have, the more it hurts to spend it. Mm, it's counterintuitive. It's, that is counterintuitive. Yeah. You think, you know, gee, I, I don't need this. I have a little bit of extra money. Therefore, it's it's not very painful to spend mm. it. Maybe that's how people get wealthy anyways, yeah. right? Is that they, 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 are, they accumulate wealth because they're not interested in spending. So you might, financial advisors are very likely to come across working with people that have that sort of thing inside their brain that goes, no, I don't want to spend. I want to save. Yeah. I want to invest. I feel really comfortable with the size of my portfolio or the size of my assets. And that's giving me psychological comfort. And therefore, when I start to spend that, spend that down, I actually start to feel, mm. I actually start to feel physical pain. Yeah. But financial advisors, we have, since we deal with clients at so many different stages of their life cycle, not just sort of accumulating wealth but decumulating and mm. and even that towards the end of life we sort of have that insight that goes no you you can't you can't take this to the yeah, grave yeah you know and we try to encourage them to spend but but it's difficult so a lot of the research then went well how do i how do i encourage someone to spend that should spend that wants to spend but is having trouble spending mm. yeah um because i'm looking at these tests the results in this test that was done, um, it's quite interesting. Like 66% are more like a tightwad than the 15% that are more like a um, spendthrift and then 19% are in the middle. Does yeah. that, I mean, that does surprise me, Like especially when like, you know, you talk to kind of the average mom and dad and usually they don't have a budget and they kind of, mm. you know, need to be pulled into line. Um, it surprises me that more people are like the, tightwad than the spendthrift. But do you think that's because people don't 
fundamentally know where they're spending. Very good point. Because actually most people say, I just don't know where the money goes. Mm. It's not like they're spending on big ticket items all the time. They're consciously making that decision. Mm. It's a coffee here and a sandwich here and McDonald's here and this here that, yeah. that kind of accumulates. Through a week to Europe there. Well, yeah. we, can, yeah. we can actually run a test for the listeners, mm. right? So uh, that particular result came from um, someone who is testing people in the Pittsburgh airport and what they were testing is because they thought, or can, or can I go where people have discretionary money? Because yeah. you don't really want to talk to people without discretionary money because that's not the, mm. the population people are interested in. Oh, the airport, if you fly, you probably have discretionary yeah. money. It's yep. kind of a proxy. It's not really a good one, but it was what they used. Mm. So, um, and they, they asked a lot of people some questions. And amongst the questions was this, right? So, so the, the premise of the question was you really enjoy tennis. You play tennis twice a week. And you notice a small crack in your racket. Now, it doesn't affect your ability to play uh, at all, but you don't really like it. So you go to the mall and you go to two different sports stores and you look at tennis rackets for over an hour. And yet you walk out of the mall without buying a tennis racket. Okay, so that was one type of person. The second type of person is there's no crack in your racket. Your rack is perfectly fine, but yet you're at the mall. You still play tennis twice a week. You're at the mall and you go to two different sports stores and you test out tennis rackets and you buy a racket that you don't otherwise need, right? And the question was, which are you more like? The guy who <laughs> doesn't buy the racket that really wants the racket or the guy who buys the second racket that he doesn't need? And so 66% of people said, mate, I'm actually like the guy who like wants a racket, should buy a racket is bothered by the crack in my racket, and I have not bought a racket, yeah. right? Even though I invested the time in, you know, playing. In playing. Yeah. I think 33% of the, uh, those 66% are lying to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're just trying to make you feel, yourself feel better because we know you're uh, definitely the spender. Of course, I've, I mean, I, yeah, I might, I, it's my hobby. I enjoy it. Do I want any racket? Yeah, I would. Do I have the disposable income to do it? I would. I genuinely think that, that asking someone their behavior versus tracking their actual behavior might yield slightly different results. Yeah, that's an interesting, interesting Because people idea. think they are, you, you know this as well as mm. I do. When people come to us and they talk to us, oh, my spending's just a little bit bad recently. Mm. No, your spending's always like this. Yeah. It's not the last three months. People think they are better than they are. Mm. Yeah, cool. Okay, but let's just go off these results. So 66% thought they were would do the spend the time looking and then walk out. And then walk out with nothing, mm. right? So, um, so the result of that is, is is there seems to be this barrier when people have enough discretionary money, there is a barrier for some of them to spend it down. Like you might talk to an, an investor and you're running these projections, right? And I'm just going to give a scenario just so we have something to play with. Like they, 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 they have $3 million of disposable income, right? Uh, that they have invested. You run a projection. The projection shows... By the time you're 90, you're gonna have five million dollars mm. per check, right? Yeah, it, you're not. You're not. You're not only are you not gonna spend down your principal. Mm. We're really looking like we're gonna grow principal here, yeah. mm. right? But they've told you, hey, before you showed them the numbers, yeah. What would you like? Oh, I, you know, I'm gonna give the kids the property. Mm. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna give the kids the the home, and that's enough for them. And you know, I I've accumulated. I want to spend this money. Yeah, and yet in the end they. They can't. And, mm. and I think that has to be a result, which I know we're not speaking specifically to financial advisors, but I know you two are financial advisors. And 
that has to be a result that we're not satisfied mm. with. Yeah. Um, people do not give money to us so we can hoard it for them. Yeah. Um, they give money for us because they want to use that money to to live a satisfying and enjoyable life. And if they want to pass that money on, then 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 bless them. My grandma is that way. I sat down with grandma in the last couple of years of her life. She kind of became a millionaire in the last couple of years of her life because the Los Angeles County sort of like overtook her land and yeah. her land became valuable in her 80s when it hadn't really been valuable before. And so grandma now is in her 80s and has money. I said, grandma, what do you want to do with this money? Because I was her financial advisor yeah. back in the States. And she's like, I want to give it to my boys. That's what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right? This is this money's for the boys. And I'm like, good grandma. <laughs> right? That's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. That was her intention. Yeah. Yeah. The issue is when it's not your intention, yeah. but it's what you're tracking to do anyways. Mm -hmm. Because maybe there's fear. Mm. Yeah. And the financial advisor's job should be to resolve that fear so that someone can actually spend the money on the things that they find satisfying in life. That could be for other people. That could be altruistic. That could be generous. That could be charitable. Mm. Um, that could be adventurous. Um, that could be trying new things. But, uh, but you've earned the right to not have that fear anymore. So how do we do it? Do you think, so the ones that do want to spend the money who don't spend the money, do you think part of it is, I don't know, say they've been grinding along all their lives and maybe they've had to spare $10,000 a year to kind of spend on stuff that they want. And now they're in a position where you're like, you can spend $100,000 a year. You can go on these trips, fly business class, get your Gucci slides, whatever it is that's important to you. And while they might say in that situation, that's what they want the jump between who they are ingrained as for such a long period of time, how they've been brought up, all of those, the jumps, mm. too big of a jump. You've, you've hit, I think you've hit the nail on the head, right? I'll give you a story um, of a, a friend. I'll use a different name. Um, and he's an older man. His, let's say his name's Jerry. And uh, so Jerry is in his well, late 70s now. And, uh, and, and I, I, Jerry... Every once in a while, that's mostly in terms of deposits. And every once in a while, he says, you know, Ben, am I going to run out of money? And I'm like, no, you're not going to run out of money. <laughs> right. In fact, one time I said to him, Jerry, do you want your casket made of gold, silver, platinum? Platinum sinks faster. <laughs> <laughs> and um, That'd be good for you, Mike, because we yeah. know what you're hitting up. <laughs> <after this life. laughs> you know, no, like you're going to be fine. He, Jerry doesn't spend much more than, than he gets from government super mm. for, him and his, for him and his spouse. And But here's the funny thing. I so I said to Jerry one time, Jerry, have you ever wanted to own a car that you just never gave yourself permission to buy? Mm. He said, you know, actually, Ben, I, I have. I, I, that, that's true. I have, I've always wanted to own a Jaguar. I said, really, a Jaguar? She's like, yeah, absolutely. I said, I said Jerry, go down to the, to the dealership mm. today mm. and test drive mm. a Jaguar. Can you sure I can afford it? Swearing on my grave, you yeah, can afford yeah, to buy this Jaguar. Right. You absolutely yeah. can afford to buy this Jaguar. He's like, really? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Okay, so he goes down and he does it. And the next day he calls me. He says, Ben, you will not believe this. Mm. I'm thinking this is going to be good, yeah, right? Yeah. You're not going to believe this. I'm like, he, he test drove. He's like, I test drove the Jaguar. I'm like, awesome. Jer Jerry, that, that is so great. He's like, yeah. I'm like, did you get it? He's like, well, I came home and I said to my wife, hey, you wouldn't believe this, but but because of Ben's encouragement, I test drove a Jaguar. 
And, and do you know what she said to me, Ben? I'm like, what'd she say, Jerry? She said, you'd look like an ass driving a Jaguar. <laughs> right? And, and so Jerry did not buy a Jaguar. Do you know what Jerry bought? He bought a Hyundai is what Jerry bought. Sensible. And very sensible. And, and so what we're really running up against is like there's a social barrier. Yeah. You don't have to get people to be different than who they are. Yeah. You have to get them to spend money to be more of who they are, mm. to be more of, of what their values yeah. are. Find out everyone has these. Yeah. Everyone's been given a leg up in life by someone, some organization, some some person. Well, you know, they they identify with giving someone else a leg up in life. Yeah. So so you have to identify what people really value inside and allow them to do to spend money that way that makes them not feel like an ass. Yeah. Mm. You know, or or look like an ass to their social circle. Yeah. yeah. Where they are suddenly outside of their social circle's normal spending. Mm. Yeah. So that, that's a big key for an advisor is to figure out what that is. It's not our agenda on what to spend. It's understanding them at such an intimate level that we can give them the yeah. insight how to do that. And a big part of it is when we're meeting with a client and they go, I want this much money in the bank or I want this much property or I'm thinking about buying another property or I'm thinking about doing this investment or whatever. I go, no, 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 no. Tell me what's important to you. Absolutely. Tell me where you want to go, who's important to you, what are your goals in the future? And if we can get the goals right, because the way we're designed right is where, I mean, we're talking about, you know, str struggle spending, but also we're designed for around instant gratification or that's how we're wired and if we're going to stay committed to a longer term objective a longer term goal if you're earlier in the piece then it has to be strong enough to stick to a plan and to do something and if you can set those you know i'm going to have these things when, when you know at this point in life once i've achieved them once you get to that point that's a very special day because mm. you've been working towards something for such a long time absolutely yeah absolutely so ben another yep. question right this okay. all makes sense say we've got one person in a relationship Another thing, checks and balance of viewers. I don't know if you know this, Mike. It's always one person in a relationship watching the finance bros <laughs> on a podcast. So you've got you've got your spend um, thrifts, you've got your tight wads. Yeah. yeah. Do they marry each other? They. Uh, so this is the day. This is done by a research called Scott Rick, and he helped contribute to the previous paper. And what he found is that if you are spendthrift, you are more likely to marry a tightwad than you are to marry another spendthrift or marry a neutral, mm. right? So, um, and it almost makes sense. Like if I'm a tightwad, like, and I'm around a spendthrift, I almost feel like they liberate me, mm. right? Because I'm so in my own, <laughs> oh, my. it's like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the fact like, wow, like you really opening my eyes. And then likewise, if you are a, if you're a spendthrift and you marry a tightwad, you're like, Boy, this person's bringing some discipline into my life. Yeah. And I really need that. And that's all good until you marry that person. Yeah. And then you have to make day-by-day -day financial decisions. And it's really stressful. And you are twice as likely to say that you are perfectly happy with your marriage if you are married to the same type of spender than the opposite type. Now, that is a big deal. Like, define any signal and data that says I'm twice as likely to be perfectly happy in my marriage yeah. if I just make the decision of not marrying my opposite, mm. of marrying my, the same, 
that makes it that makes a huge difference. So you're saying just I shouldn't get married? <laughs> just just as a, I'm not answering that question. Just as a side note, this is why we want to do like finance, speed dating, like checks and balances. I reckon be so much fun. But anyway, <laughs> um, so Ben, we've we've got um, just looking at time. We're gonna wrap things up. Um, I got two quick questions. Yep. One first one: If you are, you've got the you're at different ends of the spectrum with your partner. How do you get on the same page? Okay, so. Here's the key. I think you can move a someone who's a tightwad into a neutral, and there's certain ways you can do that. But the most important way to do that is actually through the process of checking off everything that person thinks they need to be comfortable. So if I, if I take a portfolio, and let's say I'm only talking about the instance where I have more than I need. I'm, I know there's lots of instances where that's not true, but that's just not the particular case we're looking at now. We're looking at someone who has money to spend and can't spend it. Mm. So what you do is you is you earmark everything you think you're going to need, like whether anything you can think of, what this is going to cost, what this is going to cost, what the, and not only this year, but into the future perpetually, mm. right? And then the financial advisor sits back and says, you know what? I can value what if we're if we're in the kind of portfolio that we've designed for you, and that portfolio just gets the expected return, not any better than the expected return. To finance all that, plus what you get in government super, you're going to need this much. Let's say seven hundred thousand dollars, eight hundred thousand dollars. Well, but you're sitting on one point five million. That means you have seven hundred thousand dollars here that you are free to spend. And psychologically, although that's called mental accounting, mm. that is incredibly powerful. Because if you put everything into one bucket and you're spending out of that bucket like with discretionary spending or buying a nicer car or something that feels a little bit frivolous, you're thinking, I'm spending the money I'm going to use to support myself mm. when I'm in old age. And if you separate in a different bucket, you actually take away that I'm spending away my future security. Mm. I'm not spending away your future security. This is the extra money, mm. right? And, and psychologically, that really matters that you're only spending the extra money and you might call that fun like the bucket list, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? And then you put your bucket list next to this. And this, listen, this you're not eating grocery money here. Yeah. And as financial advisors, if you go through a rough patch in the market and you go, hey, gee, you know, like, things have gotten gone as well as, as had hoped, and that can happen, you might just allocate a little bit of money over from this bucket, you know, over mm -hmm. into the, the spending bucket because it's more important to secure your lifelong spending needs than on the extra stuff. But you have the permission to spend over there. Yeah. Right. So, so that could be a really critical thing for for just satisfying that inner fear in the tightwad. Um, would be the kind of the first thing that I'd recommend. Mm, nice. Cool. Okay. Um. So if you have a um tightwad in your life, send them this video and go, "Hey, buddy, this is you, um, <laughs> Ravi. This is going straight to you." Um. <laughs> Thank you, Ben, very much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, please make sure to hit us with a sub, a review, and a like. And yeah, share it with all the tightwad friends you have. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Cheers. Thanks.